Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Welcome to Digital Voices. We're going to talk about safety third, right? We're so used to hearing about safety first, safety first, safety first. But this episode is going to blow your mind and make you rethink safety in a completely different way. And there's no better guest to have than my longtime friend, peer, Daryl Messersmith. So welcome, Daryl. Thank you, Ed. It's Glad uh, to be here. No, it's really good to have you. And you'll be the, the husband to, the, to uh, uh, your wife, of course, uh, combination <laughs> who's been on Digital Voices. So we had your wife, who was then your fiance or girlfriend, Dr. Seals, she was on in 2021. We were talking about sort of the pay biters. You know, she's really expert at knowing what's going on in the payer side and provider side. And now you as the husband, you know, so again, you'll be the first sort of a couple, if you will. Maybe one day we'll have you together on Digital Voices and, and really complete it. So it's kind of kind of cool. We first met uh, climbing mountains. So I think it was at a CIO boot camp. Everyone was talking about what's something that they like to do and talked about climbing high peaks and that and then we realized we both climbed the same high peaks and then you actually helped my climbing team get ready for i'm trying to remember what summit akakongwa or something you were helping us uh prepare for so we came and visited you in colorado and you uh taught us a few things on on uh on ropes and and crampons and ice picks and all that kind of stuff it was a lot of fun that's right so, i remember that so I always ask Sydney a question as well, our excellent producer. And Sydney, are you into any sort of uh, high risk adventure hobbies like that? Whether you know it could be rappelling or climbing mountains or you know anything crazy? Probably not. I think I usually take a safer approach to most of my my life. <laughs> so you're more of a safety first. I maybe like second. It's relative. Right. Depends on the situation. <laughs> All right. Well, after today, after uh, we're we're finished here with Daryl, it'll be safety third for sure. So, Daryl, we ask everyone a couple of same setup questions. The first one is your favorite music. So, what kind of music do you like to chill to? Oh, you know, Ed, I I migrate to a lot of different styles of music. I think I probably my playlist I usually go to is something like uh, '80s rock, uh, maybe. Uh, Van Morrison radio or something like that. If I want to calm down, I'd probably migrate toward toward those mostly. But I'm not opposed to hip hop. You know, I've got young boys who love listening to hip hop, and I'm good with that when it's in the car. And I enjoy it. Yeah, no, that's good. A lot of uh, diversity. So, what about any specific like life message mantra? I think maybe we already said it. I don't know, but anything that sort of guides your life? Yeah, safety third. Safety third's been my life mantra for quite a while. I think I, I adopted this philosophy early in life because I realized that it's probably my ADD tendencies that if I go do something kind of high risk, that it helps me focus and actually calms me, where some people get worked up, it actually calms me. And when my kids were little, I would tell them, safety third, um, adventure and fun come first. Actually, for me, it's that. it can be You can make your own two priorities that come first. Safety third, uh, because... If, you, if safety's first, you may not actually leave the house and do anything very interesting. So I had kind of worked that into my kids uh, early on. And one day, my oldest son, he must have been in the first grade, came into the house one day, and he was mad. He came stomping into the house. 
hands on his hips, and he said, Dad, my teacher says you're an idiot. <laughs> so, so, well, what do you mean? He said, well, he kept saying that safety's first, and I kept telling him that safety's third, and we got into this disagreement. Anyway, I had to explain that, well, not everybody fully appreciates the concept of safety third, uh, and you got to kind of explain some of the things around it. And then um, later in life, I actually had the privilege and honor of doing uh, my same son, my oldest son's uh, high school graduation commencement speech. So my whole commencement speech was around this concept of safety third and encouraging young people to challenge the old gray hair and the bald heads like me and uh, go make your own path and, and make uh, help us all do, do things better. Because if you don't take risks, if you don't challenge some of the status quo or the rules that are out there, um, we won't progress as, as a society. I think that's probably true uh, throughout most of my career too, is that you take calculated risks, challenge the status quo. Uh, if we're going in and we're installing new EMRs in a hospital, we've got to be able to help groups and help people, help uh, the whole organization through, uh, through change. And you can't do that by sitting back and remaining status quo or taking safety first, I think. So. No, I, I love the philosophy. You know, you shared that with me a few years ago. And it certainly resonates with me. And I think it's woven throughout your career. So tell us a little bit, Daryl, about uh, your, yourself, your career, and how you became the CEO of Incredimed. Because you, as I mentioned from the outset, you know, we met as CIOs, so you were on that track. But suddenly, you know, you left and now sort of an entrepreneur, if you will. So tell us a little bit about your journey. So most of my life, I've... Um wandered from one thing to the next, or I've found opportunities and, and seized the chance to do things. I've done everything from, I've been a commercial fisherman, I've uh, run heavy equipment, I went to school, uh, studied psychology, and then I studied anatomy physiology, got my master's in physical therapy, was a physical therapist for a while, and then started to run outpatient service lines for hospitals. During that period of time where I was running outpatient service lines, I had a friend who was a, a programmer, that helped me develop some software that basically was uh, in the you know late 90s. It was EMR software for rehab clinics that we used um, to manage operations, uh, home health agencies, and used to manage outpatient therapy services and inpatient services. And that was a light bulb for me that you can really leverage technology to do some really interesting and cool things. When I was in running um, home health agencies, there was a day when I noticed that if I had a computer with me, I could actually scroll back in that patient's record and see previous conversations, uh, physician notes, other therapist notes, and I could kind of tell the story. And it immediately gave me context for the value. It gave me, gave me context for that patient's and where they were at, as well as gave me instant credibility with that patient because I understood some of the things that they'd been through. So that having, having the technology show me what had happened to that patient and be able to carry that through in context um, was very valuable. When I was then at uh, it was a Platte Valley Medical Center, and they needed somebody to uh, run a large EMR project, so we're installing a large EMR, and we um, when they looked around the organization to see who could lead, the, they chose me and asked me if I would if I would uh, help out with that EMR project, and um, that's how I became a CIO. Basically, I had a chance to help physicians and help the clinical folks. Um, design and implement an EMR over about a 10-month period of time, as well as several other applications. And then we installed those and uh, went live. That was a huge experience for me to learn how the organizational dynamics worked around 
going completely from paper to electronic charts and orders uh, and going live all at once um, was, was a huge experience for me. Yeah. And then, then you ended up in Vail where you were leading tech, you know, and then, you know, the coveted, you know, to work in a ski resort town. And, and so you were there for a couple of years, right before you became an entrepreneur. Yeah, in 2015, I went to Vail. I had the chance to go live in the mountains, which has been an amazing experience for me. Uh, it's I close access to all the things that I love outdoors. Plus, I got to work with an incredible team and did some really amazing things. And then two years ago, I decided to venture out on my own and start doing some, some consulting. I uh, started doing some consulting. And then about a year ago, was approached by Michael Rice from Incredimed and asked if I'd come on as the CEO and help them kind of rethink their technology stack and start to bring some new products to market. So what recommendations, if any, would you have, Daryl, for individuals that maybe have been CDOs for a while, CIOs, and are sort of thinking about, and they, they adopt this uh, safety third because it's, it's a little bit more high risk, and they, they want to go and do a startup or, or assist a founder, you know, what sort of things should they be thinking about before taking that step in their career? For me, moving from the buyer side of things, the provider space, over into um, a startup where I'm selling things, or even a consultant selling things, has been probably more challenging than I had originally appreciated. It's very different to do that. You leverage your relationships and you leverage um, all kinds of things. It's been very rewarding. I think for anybody who wants to do that, be prepared for that change and also be willing to, um, you know, you got to move fast, you've got to work hard and innovate. And instead of being the person who gets to tell people no to new products, new ideas, you have to be the one who has to weather that no. Yeah, it's definitely a change for sure. And I was speaking with someone else recently and, you know, we were thinking about careers and I think it's actually would be beneficial. You know, in the, in the past, you know, the career advice would be, you know, you move from an analyst to a manager, to a director, to a vice president and so forth, you know, work your way as far as you want to go up the chain, but it's, it's limiting because that's all, you know, so it's probably better in that career to take some moves outside of the provider side or payer yeah. side and work sort of on the supplier side and then come back in, or maybe you stay on the supplier side and vice versa. And I think it makes for a stronger individual and, and you get a better clarity and vision about what's needed Definitely. in healthcare. When I was a kid, um, my parents lived out of town, about five miles out of town in the middle of a huge cattle ranch and we had a large garden. And I decided one year that I was going to sell cantaloupe and cucumbers from the garden, out, like a road stand out in front of the house. So I set up this table out there, had my scale and everything all set up. And I was out there for two days and I think three cars came by and I sold one cantaloupe. And I realized pretty quickly, I'm going to have to pivot. This, this, I'm going to have to do something different because I don't have enough, anywhere near enough customers here. So I convinced my dad to say, you know what, let, me, let me load the back of your car with cantaloupe and cucumbers, and I'll go door to door in town with, uh, with a wheelbarrow and sell cantaloupe and cucumbers. So it ended up, uh, ended up doing very, very well. And actually, at the end of the summer, I made enough money to, to buy a motorcycle. But it was a, it was a, that first idea wasn't the right idea, didn't work. And at Incredimed, I think, we're doing the same thing where we look at, well, what was working? What do we need to do? What new technology is coming out that we can leverage, we can add to our stack to bring value to the industry? And you just always got to be thinking that way. 
Yeah, let, let's talk about what you're doing today then. You know, what, what are some of the challenges and opportunities for unstructured data? What, what sort of things are you all working on? You know, interoperability, of course, is a, is a problem that a lot of folks have been looking at. Uh, unlocking data that's locked up in EMRs around the country or in clinical notes is, is there's a, a lot of value there. There's a lot of information that is in the context of clinical notes that we don't necessarily have access to either for analytics or even trying to, to get at the notes themselves. Um, I was talking to somebody just yesterday uh, in hospitals. Most of the record transfers that happen between two facilities is still, are, is still by fax. Patients, whether it's medical, legal, or it's record requests, pre-admission testing for surgery, all those things still tend to be by fax. And then you have to have somebody manually go look through that. So aside from the fact that we have a lot of information that's tied up in narrative notes, it's either you know, structured, semi-structured, or unstructured, the workflow of faxing records into an organization is pretty laborious and very uh, time-intensive. That I think there's some, some new technology coming out with natural language processing that will, will help with that. The next generation natural language processing, I think, gives us the ability to read through these notes, um, gives you, it's much more sensitive to the context and finding meaning out of the context of the note, recognizing the form, recognizing the format, pulling out meaningful data, assigning those to fire resources, and making that data available to other platforms, whether you're interfacing the data in or you're trying to stream it into a database for analytics, that stuff starts to become much more um, possible. What we're focusing on right now at Incredimit is, is there's a larger picture of being able to process unstructured data and, and drop it into data lakes. But we think there's also an opportunity to improve workflow for health plans and providers who are looking at these notes, and possibly medical legal purposes. So if you think about um, you know, 10 years ago, I remember when we moved from paper charts to electronic charts, that pre-admission testing record request might yield five pages, it might yield 100 pages of documents, and there might be only three pages in there that are valuable. So somebody would take those pages, print them out, if they didn't already come off a fax machine, and then go through each page and take a highlighter and highlight the parts that they thought were relevant to the surgeon or whoever needed to see it, and then throw the rest of it in the shredder. Well, now since we're electronic, we receive that thing in a 200-page PDF. Well, now we've actually made it more difficult to go find out how do you highlight it, how do you present it, how do you, do you take some parts and put in your EMR or not. That's just become much more challenging. So I think there's opportunity to improve that workflow. I don't think that notes are necessarily going to go away and the transfer of notes between organizations. We can run those documents through natural language processing. We can uh, find the relevant data, highlight it for somebody, Somebody can actually look at it in a document management console, um, figure out what's relevant and what's valuable, and then move that data on into the next platform or wherever it needs to go, whether it's into an EMR or if we want to take the relevant findings and move them into a fire resource or stream them into a database somewhere. Now the technology to speed that whole process up is there, and we can not only just make it valuable and present it for that particular workflow, but also move that data into an a interoperable state. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of unlocking the data. So it's sort of trapped in the, like the examples you gave, and it really limits you know, our, our efficiency. In some ways, you know, the digital revolution has actually slowed us down in some ways, right? And so I think we're just one more hill left to climb that you're all climbing uh, for, on behalf of providers and, and payers 
to help them get to that point where, yeah, the data is available and now you can make it uh, for good use, you know, ultimately uh, for the benefit of the patient. And, and I bet, you know, Daryl, probably people are thinking the same thing. I, I bet uh, across the dinner table you have some interesting conversation unless it's a no, a no work zone because, you know, you'll get immediate feedback from your <laughs> wife, the doctor, about some of these issues that they deal with on a daily basis. One of the thing, amazing things about Christine is that we, we're almost doing this 24-7, right? We'll take a break from it once in a while, <laughs> but we're always bouncing these ideas back and forth across each other. I can, I can hear the struggles and the frustration that their heat as head nurses have, for example, to try to abstract data from charts that they've received via fax. So, yeah, it, the ideas and the thoughts that go into our startup to seed these, uh, these ideas and these products, she definitely adds to yeah. that. What about AI and ML? You know, those are other, other, you know, things that everyone looked to for great hope. And they're, they're definitely there. And I personally have worked on AL, AI and ML type pro- projects and saw some great success. But in terms of realizing their greatest potential, I think that's still to come. And how, how do you all leverage? Do you leverage AI and ML capabilities in your products? Yeah, you know, the, the NLP products that we use that we're looking at right now and building around, they do obviously leverage AI and ML. And the accuracy of the natural language processing tools that we use, are they do, they do rely heavily on, on the AI and ML that have gone into the development of them. So I think that those things will continue to grow and have more value in the future. They'll become uh, more accurate as time goes on. There's, there's a lot of promise right now with this next generation of, of NLP tools that are coming out um, that we can see some significant advances. Specifically in, in finding and you know, being better at understanding the context of a particular uh, clinical finding. Um, yeah, what, you know, what is one thing, Daryl, when you think about the work that you're doing at ClinMed and you know, with the unleashing unstructured data and some of the things that you spoke about, what's the what's one great aspiration or hope, you know, that might come out of this that makes the clinician uh, life better or patient life better? You know, what's, you know, what, if for someone who's sort of new to this idea, because a lot, some people still think, hey, we've got the EHR, that's all you need and it's, it's all good. But if you're able to, you know, leverage a capability like, like what you're doing, you know, what could, what could be? So we're really... So for HEDIS nurses, for example, who are trying to abstract data from charts uh, so that we can, they can add it to their star ratings for the plan that they work for, that's a very challenging and very daunting task, and it's easy to miss things. A lot of charts have to, have, you have to go through. Other examples of you know, moving charts from one clinic to the other, if we can just make that job easier, it reduces the frustration of those jobs significantly. Christine, of course, has her own practice uh, out in Oregon, and we do. I help her out with that too. We do a lot of record transfers because it's primary care, and those charts always come in via fax. And everybody has to you have to open them up. You have to look see who the patient is, and you have to name the file according to the patient, and you have to do all these things just to get it into the chart. And then somebody has to go look at it. I think that this this has a lot of promise to make that job much less frustrating, much, much less challenging to be able to glean those clinical insights more or less automatically, but also as a user to be able to open a, 
chart up and, and see it already marked up with things that are clinically relevant and validate it. The other is when they have a chart that comes in that way and it goes into a file as a PDF, it's, it's basically lost to other questions that you might want to ask. We need to make sure that we preserve the context of that note. And what I'd like to see is that downstream, as you, as you extract this data and you drop it into a table or use it for analytic purposes, that you can preserve a, a, a source, right? You can always, you're usually one or two clicks away from back to the original document to see where the data came from. I think that's a really important concept. You can't lose the context of the note itself. As a clinician myself and working with physicians on uh, transition from paper over to electronic EMR, that was probably the biggest um, concern and complaint that I heard. A good friend of mine who's an anesthesiologist um, said to me one day, so now when I go through a chart and I start to uh, approve medications or assign things in the chart, I'm much less likely to recognize the context of it because now this medication that might be in a list that I need to sign off on because it was entered by a nurse, I'm less likely to go look at the chart now than I was in the past when I had it in a paper format. So I don't know exactly why that is, uh, but there's something about it that makes it um, less intelligent, it makes it less, um, it, it removes some of that clinical context. And when you look at clinical notes that come out of some of these EMRs, if they're highly templated, they don't, they don't have that, that flavor that they used to have. They're more difficult to read. When I talk to uh, HIE um, technology folks, that's the, that's the concern or complaint that they get from their partners as well, is that you know, we don't really want to scroll through a CCD. We don't want to look at all this structured data and these reports that have been generated and regurgitated from a database. Uh, what we really need to see is that last clinical note. We need to see the context and see the flavor of that note. So I think we, we lose some of that. If we can use natural language processing to find relevant data, present it back in some other way, make that data interoperable, but then allow the contextual link back to the original document, the source, and not lose that flavor of where the data came from. I think that's a really important for us to remember. Yeah. No, those are all, all great examples and all uh, pain points, if you will, for, for everyone from a patient, from a clinician, from the office staff, uh, the whole the medical center, the whole gamut. So that's pretty cool. You know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, you know, going back to safety third, and, and you do live in the Vale Valley. I've been to your home. I've been to the area. It's a beautiful area, and I know that you literally can hop on, on uh, snowmobiles and, and specialized motorcycles and things and literally out your backyard. How do you, you know, a lot of people strive for the balanced life, or I call it the integrated life. How do you weave all these adventures and, and life uh, given, you know, work responsibilities and things like that, how do you live sort of the dynamic uh, safety third lifestyle? Well, in all fairness, some of that is out of necessity. Um, I, <laughs> I need some of that activity just to keep my, myself calm and stay focused uh, during the week. But it, it's also a commitment. It might sound cliche, right? But it, it, you got to commit to on Friday after work, I'm at home and I'm throwing stuff in a backpack. I'm loading snowmobiles in the trailer ready for the next morning uh, and just committing to that and making sure that you get out there and do it. Um, been many, many early mornings I'd drag my kids out of bed when they were small and I could still drag them out of bed, put them in the car, uh, buckle them in, throw their skis in the back and we'd head for the slopes. Um, and it's just making a commitment to doing it each time. But it helps to surround myself with family and people who love those things too. Yeah, no, that's great because so often we 
we put so much of ourselves into work, as you know, and then we're tired and we just want to uh, rest. And there's nothing wrong with rest. I don't want, and I don't want to go too far off on a tangent here. Rest is important, of course it is, uh, but so is uh, adventure and living life to the fullest. And and because I think it does spill over into your work, it's part of this whole work-life integration. And and just like when you espouse, you know, the value of of safety third, it, it runs through everything you just spoke about. Uh, it runs through your your career, the the life that you've chosen, uh, and and how you yeah, just uh, the play, the rest, how you handle it all. So I think it's it's a really important uh, aspect of who you are. And so on our podcast, we don't just focus strictly on digital things. It's it's really a whole person and how how we operate, you know, in life and make the most of life. And uh, we've been given a finite time. So I, I really appreciate how how you and your wife, you know, live that life and set a good example uh, for the rest of us. So, Daryl, we spoke about a lot of things uh, from the very beginning. Again, the whole concept of, of Safety Third, but we, we talked about your career and how you came to, to become a CEO of a startup. And then we talked about life in the Rockies. We talked about leadership and we talked a lot about uh, data and unlocking data. Is there a topic that we missed that we should end with or, or double down on something we already spoke about? So I'll leave the last comment uh, to you. You know, I think that um, we covered pretty much everything. And I would just add that the last uh, couple of years, leaving my more comfortable job as a CIO, maybe a regular nine to five job, uh, and doing consulting and joining a startup, uh, and going through COVID during that time also, I have a whole new appreciation for relationships and people and how we approach one another. And and the mental health aspects of that is just to be kind, right? Be kind and um, treat people respectfully. It's easy when you're in a, I shouldn't say easy, but there are times when you're maybe a hospital executive or your leader and you might be a little bit too harsh or you might be a little too direct or you might be unkind. Um, I think it's just really, really important for our business leaders, our technology folks, everybody out there, be kind to everyone. Hey, that's a great way to bookend our time together. Patient, uh, not patient, but uh, safety third and be kind to one another. Absolutely. So, Daryl, thank you for being our guest. That wraps up another drop for Digital Voices, and we look forward to chatting again. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.